happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career. And you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Caitlin. Yeah, Jamie? Thanks for meeting me up on this roof. You look cold. Oh my gosh, I'm so cold. Hey, can I bum a smoke? Yeah, I'm a known smoker, and I'm also wearing a gigantic fur as unethically sourced as I humanly could find. Would you like to get would you like to get on in? Yeah, I'm so chilly. Okay, well now that you're here, I have an idea. It's called okay. a podcast and we're gonna make a fuckload of money. <laughs> Are you in? I mean famously podcasters make a hundred thousand dollars per weekend. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in. In two thousand and seven, if you were a podcaster <laughs> The money podcasters were pulling pre-recession. It's what they don't want you to know. <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's we'll see how this goes. What could possibly happen? We'll definitely be speaking in five years. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna betray our trust and take a deal when we both get arrested after having an illegal podcast. And <laughs> I really hope that one of those exists. I don't know what you would need to be doing i mean i'm not sure anyways i feel i feel confident about that intro yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome welcome to the bethel cast uh my name is jamie loftus my name is caitlin durante and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation. Jamie, what is the Bechdel test, though? Okay, so the Bechdel test is a media metric invented by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test, that requires the following. There must be, for our purposes, there's different versions of it, this is our version. Mm -hmm. For our purposes, we require that there be Two named characters of a marginalized gender that talk to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue. And it has to be 
recent update, it has to be a meaningful exchange. We can't define what that is, but you know it when you hear it. Uh, and fortunately, this is not a movie where I think we will uh, struggle to find them. So we won't need mm -hmm. to really split mm -hmm. hairs on it this week. No. Because this week we're covering, I think, one of our more popular requests ever. We've been getting a ton of requests for this movie since, since it came out. Before it came out, maybe even. Since before since the trailer <laughs> dropped, basically. Yeah. And we were kind of waiting for the perfect guest to come along. And guess what? She's here, baby. It happened. It's the Hustlers episode. <laughs> and our guest today, she is a writer, performer, and activist. It's Susie Q. Woo-woo! Hi! Welcome! Jeez Louise! Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for, A, having this podcast, super duper important, um, and B, like, doing this movie, super duper important mm. and see having me thank you Yay. i'm very humble that's the most important part Aww. we're so excited uh to have you on the show and to talk about this movie like same i have been hearing about this movie and thinking about this movie since long before it was ever even released let alone i actually ever even watched it which was only this week so thank you for giving me the final excuse to like you know i i am of the adult industry i was doing adult work in strip clubs around the same time that this movie happened um, so I was really reluctant to watch it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm amped. So you had only just seen this very recently. Very recently. Yeah. <gasps> wow. What were your just kind of like initial thoughts? So, OK, I have a relationship with it. I, I feel like every person doing adult entertainment during this time has a relationship with this movie somehow. Like, <laughs> we, mm -hmm. um, so I opened for Jack the Stripper, aka Jacqueline Francis, aka Jackie, the cute blonde who Jennifer Lopez is, grabs her boobs, which by the way, I can't believe Jacqueline was not shouting that from the rooftops as soon as it happened <laughs> until for the rest of her life. I'm like, why isn't that right. like the main part of your brand now? I don't understand. Maybe she had to like sign a boob grabbing NDA. I'm like sure. J-Lo is the kind of famous that I'm like, there could be an NDA for anything. Oh, for sure. Right. <laughs> so I knew that Jack was involved in the process of making this film. I did not realize she had mm -hmm. as much screen time as she did, which was really freaking cool. It's just in and of itself, that movie existing and what happened to get it made and the fact that real sex workers were involved and real strippers mm -hmm. were involved in the making of this movie is important. And I was worried that that sort of policy and procedural element of which I am like very into all of those things, <laughs> particularly mm -hmm. as an activist, would somehow not translate to a good movie that I was that I was stoked to watch. I was I was worried, but mm -hmm. It sure did. <laughs> it sure did to me. Yeah. yeah, to me, this felt like the dirty dancing for adult entertainers. Like the it was <laughs> like it's not a coming of age story. It is that, but it's it's more than that. It's a love story about love that is so meaningful and so unspeakable that like <laughs> I can't even like I unless we had this movie to to talk about and look at, I feel like I would not be able to communicate the type of relationship between women that the adult industry can create. And that's what this movie is about, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, Jamie, what's your relationship with it? I've seen this movie a couple of times. I was really, really excited 
for it to come out for a lot of reasons. I mean, because it's the subject matter is not something you get to see addressed in depth, much less in like, I don't know. I mean, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and being like, this movie is going to be like heavy, but it's going to be a fucking blast too. Mm. And I really like movies that address class and inequality and in a way that doesn't feel like mm-hmm. they're bashing you over the head with it and also in a way that isn't just like and here are the white guys that made the whoopsie like mm. it's <laughs> it's so cool to see I don't think I've ever seen a movie about this period of time that focused on first of all women much less uh New York strippers like it's such a, a it it just ticks every box for me and I was really excited that uh it was written and directed by uh Lorraine Scafaria too because she's so talented and she's been at it forever and Mm -hmm. um I'm excited to talk about the production of this movie because she Mm -hmm. really had to fight to be able Mm -hmm. to even they wanted Martin Scorsese to direct this movie like all this shit that I'm just this is the kind of movie where you're like it's I'm just so happy that it got made and it seems like it got made the way that the creators and the consultants wanted it to be. So Mm -hmm. I'm stoked. It was such a pleasure to rewatch it. Yeah. What about you, Caitlin? Yeah, I've seen it a couple times now too. I saw it in theaters with my AMC A-list thing that is not a sponsor of our show, but it it might as well be. They really should give us free memberships they really Hello. should you hear that mr amc anyway um, amc is a girl boss now it's <laughs> miss miss ms amc <laughs> abigail yes, so mallory sorry. christian is her name and, she, <laughs> oh, and she's course. a nightmare <laughs> it's a metaphor <laughs> Um, so yeah, I saw it in theaters and then I've watched rewatched it twice to prep for this episode. And I also can't wait to watch it again. Like <laughs> yeah. this is going to be in my rotation. It's an instant classic. Like instant, instant classic. classic. It's so for sure. entertaining. It's so watchable. The soundtrack is the soundtrack. Just I woke up with all uh, of those songs in my head this morning. Like just yeah, and right. and I loved how oh. um of the time it was. Even though those are like very recent oldies, like the the Lord the Lord album and just like yeah the fr- the two back to back Frankie Valley songs. By the way, Frankie Valley is like one of the first concerts I saw. It's like in in real life. I no freaking way. love that moment. But yeah, the soundtrack is lit. Uh, it's so good. I feel like it's, I don't know, this movie is doing so much right. But I, I feel like it's so hard to make a period piece where it doesn't feel like either it's un, it's either like kind of unclear when the movie's taking place or it's so clear that it feels condescending mm-hmm. where I'm like, I mm-hmm. understand what 1994 was. But like <laughs> with this movie, it's it's like the recent past. But I feel like they do like... I felt like the most ham-fisted thing out of everything, which I still liked, was like panning to like the first season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. I get it. But that places us very specifically, not only in the place, but also in our understanding of sex work at the time and our understanding right. of like performance mm-hmm. and reality TV. And like, we didn't have OnlyFans yet. We didn't have like this, but we did have Kardashians and that honestly changed things. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really liked what what the creators of this movie and I'm guessing I guess primarily Lorraine Scafaria chose to tell us where we are and what and and when it is I thought it was like just so many cool choices yeah for sure 
Oh, all right. Well, should I dive into the recap and we'll go from there? I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. And Susie, feel free to jump in whenever. Shall. All right. So we open. It's 2007. We meet Dorothy, a.k.a. Destiny. That's Constance Wu. She is a stripper at a club called Moves in New York City. Ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. She's new there. We see her on a typical night. Um, she's giving some private dances. She is not making as much money as she had hoped, especially because she has to hand over a lot of her earnings to various men who work at the club. Mm. Uh, we see a little bit of her home life. She takes care of her grandmother. One night at the club, Ramona, that is Jennifer Lopez, is dancing. She's very, very good. Oh, wait, mm. wait. We have to say what she's dancing too. She's dancing to Criminal by Fiona Apple. It's mm. one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's, it's very exciting. Also, may I say, don't ever choose that song as your stage song. <laughs> Unless it's like, you know, 2 p.m. on an afternoon in Portland and you're like doing your thing and you've got but like that there were the, the two things about the movie that like were were like cringy to me, but not enough to be mad in any way. It's just like it's like your mom who's really trying very hard to like accept you as you are and be into your new life. Like that is the performance that Jennifer Lopez gives us as Ramona, right? Mm. Like she is like her, the pole trick sequence and like everything she does is technically perfect and mm. like cringe and like not it. <laughs> I'm so curious to hear what, because to me, to me, no, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, it's like, yeah, the Fiona, the Fiona Apple choice. I was like, this might just be a song that the director likes. I love uh, it, but and I also really like it, so I was stoked. Oh, it's a song that like sex workers like, and like at the Lusty Lady, which is where you know where the dancers can control the music and such. Like, absolutely, mm. put on that song. But like the type of reaction that Ramona was getting with like the money going over. That's right. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get that kind of reaction w- with a stage dance to Criminal, like do it, of course. <laughs> but that, that like. It did not ring true to me in the same way that like her pole tricks did not ring true. Someone's like, yes, that is how you do that dance move. Is that how you extract money out of a human? Mm. <laughs> I, no, it's not. <laughs> in my opinion. In my opinion. Sure. As someone who has extracted money out of many humans. I was like, you know better than we do. Such yeah. moves. <laughs> and like, I don't do moves that good, but I made plenty of money. <laughs> I will say about like, you know whether or not criminal is a good a good choice i'm sure there will be plenty of strippers that listen are like fuck you that's the best i make so much money with that song please go go for it but i do think that that moment when we see ramona we see her through destiny's eyes it's that moment when like it, the reality of what was actually happening in that moment whether she chose criminal or whether like and that's possibly why it was criminal that's mm-hmm. a song that like I would choose for like the girl I like to dance for me. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? <laughs> and so like we see her through those eyes of like, oh man, this is the way. Yeah. This is what the fantasy fulfilled, right? She's like mesmerized by Ramona's performance. I really mm-hmm. love movie moments like that where you just see like I it's just fun to, to see like women looking at each other and really yeah. just being like completely taken in by like another woman's persona or like just mm-hmm. like what she can do and 
I was thinking about it because we this is like different context mostly, but we just did a, an episode on Chicago and you kind of get like a similar moment where it's oh, like, yeah. I want to be your best friend, but I also want to be you. Like, how do you <laughs> do what you do? Like, you're just... Uh. Can we exist in the same realm without destroying each other? Like, <laughs> right. let's try. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she is dancing to Criminal by Fiona Apple and people are throwing tons of money at her and destiny is like idolizing her and her moves so then we've got that rooftop scene that we alluded to in our amazing introduction to this episode where destiny goes up to ramona asks for some pointers and then ramona is like yeah i'll show you the ropes and maybe we could even work together then we cut to seven years later, where Destiny is being interviewed by a journalist named Elizabeth, played by Julia Stiles. Was not, exp- I always forget that she's in the movie, and every time I see it, I'm like, <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, same. I would say it's like, what makes this a dance movie? Is <laughs> Julia Stiles. That's like, true, <laughs> she's canon. Nice little throwback. She is canon, and that, like, <laughs> that with, like, the neon pink and also the fundamentally all of the dancing in the film. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this is a dance movie, which is, like, possibly my favorite genre of film. Oh, nice. <laughs> the casting of this movie is so... I guess it took two years to cast this movie. They, like, really took their time, and I feel like it shows. I, I really that. like the yeah. casting choices. Same. And Julia Stiles was, like, hell-bent on being in this movie. She was like, I don't care what role I'm in. I love it. I will do anything to be in this movie. Save the last <laughs> dance for me. <laughs> anyway. So this journalist is interviewing Destiny about this kind of former life she has because when we see her in like 2014 or whenever it is she's like has a haircut and is like wearing like a more conservative outfit and she's in like an hgtv living room yeah yeah Yeah. so she seems to be living like a different lifestyle now and elizabeth the journalist asks about when things got out of control So then we cut back to 2007, but the movie periodically cuts back to this interview that's happening. So back in 2007, uh, Ramona teaches Destiny some moves. They start dancing together. They get very strategic about the men they target at the club. Mm -hmm. They start making a lot more money, mostly from rich Wall Street guys, and then one night from Usher. (laughs) Okay, wait, okay, stop again. (laughs) (laughs) So that scene is so wild. Yes, (laughs) so I mean, I guess that it's like if you were to think of the most 2007 scenario you could mm-hmm. this baby. would be it <laughs> i love that there's no other like it, it, she describes it as like that was the last night it was good and that is the like mm-hmm. sir the point it serves within the plot but other than that no we never see usher again it's just like sometimes celebrities come into the strip club and spend tons of money mm-hmm. and it is an unforgettable night yeah i remember when two years back to back at avn Lil Wayne performed and then Cardi B performed and like I got to dance on stage with both of them with like all of my porn star friends and I was like and Cardi B is a fictional stripper at this club diamond (laughs) I wonder if that was like her her name do we know if that was her name when she danced in New York I would assume anyway um yeah I love that the the Usher sequence is a fever dream that is (laughs) is true I'm sure that happened you know yeah totally (laughs) I uh, I just love that I don't know. You just never expect to see Usher. 
You just don't. It's it's a thrill every single time. Mm-hmm. And he is in a lot of he makes cameos in a lot of movies, sometimes as himself, such as yep. Hustlers, and sometimes mm-hmm. as the DJ from Oh my god, which movie is it? Is it um She's all that? She's all that, yeah. <laughs> she's all that. Yeah. I was oh, like, is it, wait, I how forgot. is that true? That is one hundred percent true. Wow. Yeah. Bless his heart. So it's like twenty years apart, but still. Same energy. It's... He he pops back up. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. it's yeah. so interesting. I, I I wonder because I know that it was Jennifer Lopez who talked to to Cardi B and was like you gotta be in this movie i love this movie i wonder how many music stars were like oh it's a j-lo movie Mm. okay fine i well it's also a will ferrell movie right that's (laughs) you know it's so funny (laughs) because i always forget that this is like a will ferrell adam mckay like produced joint but then when you know that you're like oh it is like a movie about the recession with like a very particular framework i guess adam mckay's involvement makes sense totally I always have to learn who Adam McKay is. And then as soon as I do, I promptly forget him and everything he's done. And then I have to learn it again like six months later. So mm-hmm. sorry, Adam, but I, I still don't know who you are. He's listening. <laughs> like, I like Azurk a lot, but he's just like, I mean, I feel like he's most known as like big short guy. That's basically it. Oh, so he like okay. makes movies about the like very stylized movies about this specific recession. So yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. He's Got in it. love with the recession. <laughs> He's obsessed. Mm-hmm. Okay, I did like that movie. Um, all right. Yes. So they're making a lot of money. Destiny and Ramona have become very good friends. We learn that Ramona has aspirations to design swimwear. Um, we learn that she has a like tween age daughter who she'll do absolutely anything for. We learn that Destiny decides to go back to school on the side. She's, she's still working at the club and everything is going great. Her grandma's taken care of. She has her own place. Mm-hmm. Then the economic crisis of 2008 happens, which obviously significantly affects Wall Street, which in turn significantly affects how Destiny and Ramona and everyone at the club will be able to make money because their clientele is largely Wall Street guys. I guess like technically if you wanted to, you could pause Hustlers there, watch the entire movie, The Big Short, and then (laughs) pick it up. And it would yeah. kind of almost be like an that. unbroken <laughs> story. True. Smart. That's it. That's an entire history. That, if I were a history professor, I'd be like, I'm just going to sit in the back today and we're going to learn about the recession and I'm not going to say a damn word. <laughs> so Destiny stops dancing for a while. She has a baby with her boyfriend, Johnny. A few years pass. She is struggling financially this whole time. She tries to get a job in retail. She calls former regulars of hers to try to get them to give her money. Um, She's unsuccessful. So she eventually goes back to the club, but isn't able to make the same kind of money that she was making with Ramona before. Until she runs into Ramona one night who catches Destiny up on what she's been doing, which has mostly been going fishing, where she and a couple other dancers at the club, Annabelle, who's played by Lily Reinhardt, and Mercedes, played by Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer. Mm-hmm. I love, I have an Adam McKay issue with Lily Reinhardt in that every time I see her, I'm like, 
I've seen this woman before, but who is she? Kiki Palmer, I don't have that problem. Kiki, <laughs> I'm a Kiki Palmer stand for life. Mm-hmm. She's great. And she's so good in this movie. So she's good. So awesome. She's so funny. So these women go to a bar. They find a rich guy, get him drunk, take him to the strip club where he does not realize they work at, knowing that he will spend a lot of money there. And then they have negotiated a percentage of his spending with the club. So this is something they regularly do, although it doesn't always work. So to kind of streamline this process and ensure its success more often, Ramona comes up with a slightly different version of the plan where they will give the guys that they meet a mix of ketamine and MDMA. It's um, the most illegal version of the plan. <laughs> it's like everything's going well, and then we're just going to ramp it up a little bit mm. through poisoning by, by crimes <laughs> yeah you picture ramona walking in and be like okay slight tweak and no one panic <laughs> i mean that's what it was like in 2008 like it 100 and also like in 2018 post sesta fosta of just which is mm-hmm. a piece of legislation but limited speech about sex on the internet and shuttered a lot of ways for people to uh so i mean like this movie is 100 percent about what happened to strip clubs after the recession. Like Mm -hmm. I said, after I watched it, I feel like the entire thing can be like summed up in that moment um, when she sees this, the house mom um, working the front at the bar and Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, you're out here again. And the house mom says, yeah, these are all Russian girls and they're charging $300 for blowjobs in the back. And like Mm -hmm. that was North Beach in San Francisco when I was dancing in 2009 at the Lusty Lady, 100%. And then like the fallout of what happened, I mean, like I started doing escorting and porn and like went on to create my own content and what I'm doing now. But the fact that women moved from the club outside and had to like ramp up what they would do and what they were willing to do and take legal work and, Mm -hmm. you know, start turning it into criminality out of desperation is Mm -hmm. 100% the story that we were all living during this time. So it was wild to watch it played out by celebrities. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a quote I was going to share at some point. Seems like now is a good time from Jacqueline Francis, uh, who consulted yeah. on the film and who uh, you opened for, you said, Susie. We love Jack. <laughs> Santa Jack the Stripper. She says in this oral history of the movie Hustlers, uh, quote, when I read the story a couple of years ago, meaning referring to the article that this movie is based on, mm-hmm. um, when I read the story a couple of years ago, I was like, damn, this is an amazing story. And yeah, it's problematic. Surviving under capitalism is problematic for everybody. And it's important to just talk about it, unquote. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of what this movie accomplishes, talking about and showing what it can look like to have to survive under capitalism and the lengths some people in certain professions have to go to in order to survive under capitalism. And, you know, we can talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so <laughs> Ramona pitches her plan of drugging people without their consent as a way to get the men to spend more money and faster and destiny is reluctant to join them she thinks people will get hurt but eventually she agrees so they start implementing this plan on these rich guys they find at bars they take them to the club they rack up their tab often having them spend 
thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in a single night. We see them perfect their drug cocktail and like the ratios of the drugs. That cook scene is is uh, oh my gosh, extra special, very special. Uh, the most wholesome babysitters club version of cooking drugs in your apartment <laughs> that the world has ever seen. It'll warm your heart. I know. It was. I was like, oh, friendship is amazing. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's the takeaway from that scene of cooking drugs. <laughs> Basically, in an easy bake oven, like it's not yeah. not an e- it's a hot plate, but it's not not an easy bake oven. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. Okay, so they're perfecting their methods. They also start outsourcing to other women to bring in more clientele and mm-hmm. kind of like cast a, a wider net. They're making tons of money, and they're working as this kind of big, happy, rich family. Then they realize they're like, wait a minute, why are we splitting our earnings with the club? We could just be taking everything we make. So they start meeting the men in hotel rooms. Um, Without security, because like clearly the, the security guards at the club were not providing them enough assurance to think that they should hire outside security when going to a motel. Just just mm. wanted to point that out. True. Just wanted to point that True. out. Fair, yeah. And then Ramona brings in this woman, Dawn, to help them out. But Dawn is very sloppy. They end up burning through their regulars, which leaves them having to find strangers who are unpredictable. One night, Destiny has to deal with this guy who had jumped off his roof thinking that he would, like, jump in his pool. But he doesn't. And he really badly injures himself. Mm -hmm. So she has to take him to the ER. Then, like, immediately after that has to get her daughter to school. She's got blood all over her. Everyone's looking at her. And Ramona is nowhere to be found while this big fiasco is happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's kind of freaking out. This is also when Destiny's grandmother passes away. So things are falling apart. Mm -hmm. Then, during one of the interview scenes, Elizabeth, the journalist, brings up Doug, this is someone who they had stolen money from, but he wasn't this like gross Wall Street guy like the other ones. He seemed nice. He was going through a really rough time, but even so, they manipulated and stole from him. So he goes to the police, who then start to investigate these goings on. A sting operation gets set up with Dawn, who had like betrayed Ramona and Destiny. Dawn. (laughs) But they are too smart to get fucking caught. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts is just like, yes, there was a sting. And like, these girls right here are not new. Mm -hmm. Right. And like that and that bitch was not only sloppy with clients, she was sloppy with cops and a sting. So nothing came of it. Right. Like, but they had a very scary drive home across the bridge. So mm-hmm. funny. In my head, I'm like that. That was the Bay Bridge. There was no other way that could be any other bridge in my mind that they were driving home over being followed mm-hmm. by the by the car. But sure. it's not set. It's not your life, Susie. It's about <laughs> other people's lives in New York. But just like, anyway, <laughs> that feeling of like knowing something is up. Mm-hmm. And then, like, every car that you see is potentially the one that's going to just stop and destroy your life. Totally. I think that, that that sequence in particular is pulled pretty closely from the real story that this was mm-hmm. adapted from, too, where it was, like, yeah. mm-hmm. the real-life person who was the inspiration for Dorothy was, like, mm-hmm. also was, like, 
something's not right with this already very messy person tonight and like tried to tip off the Ramona of the story and it's Mm -hmm. it's the the realist story of this is is pretty interesting and also where it deviates is we'll we'll get there yeah yeah um so they don't get caught and arrested right then after this sting operation but they do eventually Mm -hmm. get arrested uh destiny ramona mercedes and annabelle are all arrested destiny takes a deal to avoid jail time because she doesn't want to be away from her daughter lily and then the movie ends with Destiny calling the journalist and her being like, what did Ramona say about me? Oh. <laughs> and Elizabeth is just like, you know, why don't you just give her a call? It sounds like you really want to <laughs> reconnect with her. And then I think the final thing is Ramona, who now works at Old Navy, talking to Elizabeth, saying like, the entire world is a strip club and some of us are tossing the money and some of us are doing the dance. I was like, Oh, okay. We're going to end the movie on the moral. <laughs> Got it. I kind <laughs> of, I kind of like that move when it's like, and in case you weren't paying attention, here is the thesis statement. <laughs> if these shadows have offended, like, <laughs> just a full on. I, but again, like not mad about it at all. Mm-mm. It's so perfectly executed. It's like, nobody's mad when like, Dominique Punciano sticks a landing. Like, it's just good. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. just, we just all cheer. There's nothing to be mad about. There's nothing to be mad about. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Where do we want to start? 
I don't know. I mean, I am Susie, you were talking about this at the top of the episode as well. I I was curious to know what yeah, what elements of this movie stuck out to you as particularly authentic? Was there anything that like didn't hit or felt kind of off? Um, oh gosh, it hit on so many levels and I think more than anything I was just so ecstatic to be seeing a story about adult entertainment and adult industry workers that was not necessarily something I had seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was a story. I mean, I had lived it 100%. So it was like very exciting to see things that felt so true. And my, my partner and I were sitting, my partner has been in the industry as long as I have. He's you know, never been a stripper, but he's been around a lot of us. And um we're just like clutching each other because, you know, the, the mistakes that we're seeing these like, you know, new girls make and the, the toxic uh, femme for femme kinetic energy that like can trauma bond to people and like the the desperation of the the world of economics. I mean, like 2007 was when I shot my first porn scene in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. It was a great time for me, too. And I very, and by 2009, I was dancing on Broadway in San Francisco and Entering the adult industry at the height of the recession was a trip, you know, it's um, you really had to believe because the wisdom of the time was that there's there's no money in this. Everything's doom and gloom. And uh, it was a very no no one was sure what was going to happen. You know, the way that people had made money in the strip club was changing. The things that people were doing in the strip clubs were changing the way that people made money online was rapidly changing and the way that adult industry workers made made money from people who made money online Mm -hmm. so really really exciting and then it was so obvious that sex workers had been a part of creating this movie because of some of the like symbols like that i was i was telling you earlier about the fur coat um component Mm -hmm. like you at the top of the show you guys were acting out the little the scene (laughs) where Destiny goes up on the roof and uh, Ramona is there smoking a cigarette in her massive floor length fur coat. Mm-hmm. And when she like climbs inside that, I was like, oh no, it's over. It's over. <laughs> and I like, I remember one night I went to work. This was, it was not in a strip club, um, but something close. Um, and I met a girl. I was like, I didn't really want to go to work that night. Like I had a couple drinks when I got there and it's just like, like not really feeling it. And then I met this girl and she was like, you look so pretty. You should put, and she had this like fur, it wasn't real fur, but she had this like fur shawl Mm -hmm. thing on. She's like, you should wear this tonight. And I was like, it was over. It was (laughs) over. I made no money that night. Not no money, but I like, but like, you know, someone was like trying to talk to me. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I know. What? You, I was just enamored of this girl. And like, Mm. I I mean, granted I'm gay, but like I've seen that happen to straight girls in the industry because Mm -hmm. it's like, it's that mother wound, you know, that like, and so many of us have it because of the schism in feminism around the sex industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just watching, highly recommend, uh, Live New Girls Unite, which is a documentary mm-hmm. about the Lusty Lady Peep Show, which unionized in the late 90s. And then the workers bought the Peep Show from the people who owned it and had been, you know, so, such bad business owners that they had to unionize. So they eventually <laughs> bought the place. Oh it's now out, defunct. It, it closed in 2013, but that is where I got my first strip club job, was this unionized, worker-owned peep show. At, in 2008, it was really struggling during the recession. I mean, like, mm-hmm. when they talked about going fishing, I mean, we had our own version of that, but it did not involve drugging anyone. <laughs> we would just, like, put on cute outfits and go down to um, 
the ball game, Giant Stadium, mm-hmm. um, because that's when the Giants were having their like resurgence of success and they've been to the World Series twice. And so their success was tied to our success. And so like <laughs> on game nights, we would go down and pass out flyers at the game. Be like, hey, it's just a short walk up the beach, a dollar. You can see all the naked chicks that you like. And, um, you know, we were doing everything that we could to stay afloat during, Mm -hmm. during a really, a really rough time. But that fur coat is such a, just like symbol of opulence and wealth and like old money. Um, Lily Barana, who wrote Strip City, um, an incredible book about when the O'Farrell Brothers Theater, uh, the workers there sued the theater um, about their independent contractor employee status. So if you like this type of movie, <laughs> like two recommendations, um, Live New Girls Unite, mm-hmm. which is such a like rinky dink riot girl 1990s mixtape of a documentary. It's ah, so, nice. cool. so good. If you if you like it, if you like a zine, you'll love this. <laughs> and then um, Strip City, which is a book by Lily Barana, who occasionally contributes to Atlantic and New York Times and stuff. She's amazing. But the sequence in that book about the first time she could afford a fur coat. And it's like an mm-hmm. extravagant expense that like a 90s girl in San Francisco probably doesn't really even need, right? <laughs> but a, strip, a stripper in, San, in um, New York certainly does. Mm-hmm. But it's such a symbol. And then when, again, in the film Hustlers, when Ramona gives Destiny a fur coat for Christmas, mm-hmm. along with Red Louboutin, red bottom Louboutins for Kiki. Like these are symbols that are deeply meaningful to our community. Like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's so stupid. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, you know, in the same way that a glass slipper or a magic lamp or like mm-hmm. these things hold meaning beyond what they are, beyond the money that they cost. Right. Um, and so that I, I have a song that I wrote a long time ago, like when I first had my like my first heartbreak, the first other sex worker that broke my heart. Um, I wrote a song called Homance about this very feeling. Mm. Even if you're not into girls, like if you enter the, the adult industry, the likelihood that you will fall head over heels in this like deep, romantic way, romantic way um, <laughs> with someone, the likelihood that she will become your pimp and exploit you in some type of way. It's very high. But and mm. like the moral of the story is that like this love is different. And it's unlike anything else. And it will probably destroy you. And once you love in that way, like when you violate the terms of that love and you violate that deep trust that like when you have to have someone's back because like everybody out in the world wants to get you, including the cops, including the manager of the place you work, including the man that you're taking money from. The only person that has your back is that other girl in the room. Mm -hmm. And if you turn around and you exploit her or if you turn around and you rat on her to the cops and you betray her, you never get that back. Mm. And it's the most sacred thing in the world. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> is that song still available? Yeah, check it out. <laughs> oh, I can I can send you the link. Yes, yeah, send sure. us the link. I would love to to share it with our listeners. That's Absolutely. Oh my god, that was like so beautifully put. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's very the opportunity to talk about it. I'm just so glad that there's a movie about it. Like I <laughs> we needed this we needed this yeah and and like you've said this is so much of what this movie is about this like female friendship and camaraderie there's a line of voiceover from destiny where she says like ramona wasn't looking for friends but it happened Mm. yeah this movie is just i mean it's mostly about women looking out for each other helping each other out lifting each other up knowing what circumstances they 
are in because she's also in the same boat kind of thing Mm -hmm. and just supporting each other. And while there is conflict between the characters at different points in the movie, like they don't agree on everything. They take Mm -hmm. different approaches to things. You know, Ramona has this tendency to kind of take in strays as, Mm -hmm. uh, as Mm -hmm. destiny puts it with like Dawn and this woman, Coco (laughs) keeps showing up. But the conflict that does exist, between them from time to time like it always makes sense there's the yeah. context for it and it's just beautiful to watch that unfold mm-hmm. especially because and I want to pull a quote from the article that this movie was based on which is entitled The Hustlers at Scores by Jessica Pressler uh, originally published in 2015 in the New Yorker quote While evolutionary theory and The Bachelor would suggest that a room full of women hoping to attract the attention of a few men would be cutthroat competitive, it's actually better for strippers to work together because while most men might be able to keep their wits and their wallets around one scantily clad, sweet-smelling sylph, they tend to lose their grip around three or four, end quote. So, and I feel like this is actually something we talked about on the Moulin Rouge episode, which was from like oh, wow. okay. a million years ago. But um, there's this really antagonistic relationship between Satine and one of the other yes. courtesans in that movie and how oftentimes relationships between sex workers are portrayed that way in movies where there's the idea that they are competing for the attention of one man. So they have to be very cutthroat and antagonistic toward each other but how that is often not the case in real life among real sex workers. Mm. Yeah, interested if you have any oh, yeah. like additional insight about that, Susie. Absolutely. I mean, like I, I mean, I, I shot porn on you know in college back in two thousand seven, but I, I consider my first real job in the adult industry at the Lusty Lady, which is where workers literally banded together to unionize, fight for their rights, um, get represented by SEIU, Local 790, and eventually buy the place. And if that isn't proof, it's empirical Mm -hmm. evidence of what's possible when sex workers band together. And like a huge part of, I remember my very first day walking out on to the stage, which was like a little fish tank, you know, because a peep show is not a strip club. It's like an okay. enclosed mm-hmm. stage with little tiny windows. If you watch uh, the Madonna Open Your Heart video or mm-hmm. uh, Real Live New Girls Unite, <laughs> you'll get to see what it's <laughs> like. But, you know, it's surrounded by mirrors. And just this idea that, like, if the window went up and the guy looked at me and I wasn't what he wanted, the idea that the girl that he wanted next to me was maybe what he wanted and at the end of the day, because we all had collective ownership of the business, it didn't matter. I was like, oh, you, you want to, you want to, bl- I wasn't blonde at the time. You want a blonde? Absolutely. Let me eat princess real quick. She's so nice. And there, that feeling was always a part of, of that workplace. And I wish that we saw more of that in the adult industry, but I think, I think we are. I think that, mm-hmm. um, the way that the workers now can own the means of production in terms of like creating content online we see that there is a customer for every person, you know, and, and mm-hmm. while white supremacy still exists, ableism still exists, classism, sizeism still exists, the ability for us to find our niche and find the people who respond to that niche is there. 
Absolutely. Um, and it always has been. It's just been like oppressed by management and, um, you know, other forces that be. Totally. I, I really appreciated and, and thought it was just immediately in establishing this dynamic between Ramona and Destiny of how immediately like Ramona does not gatekeep any information she doesn't mm-hmm. gatekeep i mean and and it sounds like not only because she seems to really get a lot out of taking younger strippers in under mm-hmm. her wing but also because it's like she wouldn't benefit from gatekeeping information right. in that scenario anyways and and establishing that really smoothly and simply at the beginning i thought was just so cool because i i think for a, like you were saying Caitlin a, a lot of movies about strippers and also just about you know how it's perceived that women fundamentally interact with each other is like inherently competitive when that is most often not the case we talk about this all the time even dance movies right if we think of this as a dance movie there's always that part of the movie of just like oh you think that you're this well you're not sister let me tell you but like we don't we don't get that moment and until she comes back at the very end and and it's even it's not that it's just that the whole place has changed it's not that these women are hazing her in any particular way she's just not part of it anymore yeah there's only one tiny moment that i clocked where there felt like there was a little bit of competitiveness where destiny is trying to get a guy early on in the movie to buy a private dance Mm. and cardi b is like back off bitch well, um, but hey. that's kind of that only quick moment. And then later, like a few scenes later, Cardi B is helping Destiny and like yeah. showing her how to give a lap dance. Hey, and that, stuff, that's so. just learning. That, that's just your training wheels. I remember my, again, my very first moment <laughs> stepping onto the stage. I was like, oh, a window came up. I'll go, I'll go talk to that window. And this girl being like, hey, just so you know. So like, these are my windows. But this is my dance mm-hmm. space. That is your dance space. <laughs> Like you have to learn those those ins and outs of the clubs because you can't fuck with somebody else's money if they're in the middle of a sale. Just if you were a hot tub salesman and like somebody came up and you're talking to a nice family at the fair, they're going to buy a great hot tub. And this other guy comes in is like, you know what? Let me show you this hot tub. Fuck that guy. You know, like, right. right. It's the same same thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I wanted I wanted to talk a little more about the. I mean, it's the the Ramona Destiny friendship and dynamic. And I mean, it's it becomes so many things. It becomes mm. a friendship. It becomes this like really intense, almost romantic, emotional connection. They become business partners for a good portion of the movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just it's so complicated in a way that I you mm-hmm. I feel like almost never see between yeah. characters in a movie of, of any kind of totally of like you were saying Caitlin they're they're in conflict or they're they're disagreeing with each other they're not necessarily mm-hmm. in conflict but they disagree with each other on almost everything and their approaches to the world and to money and to work are fundamentally different mm-hmm. but they are still able to I don't know like exist in so many different ways to each other and I, I thought it was really interesting that the writing of the movie I like that you're kind of given that opening at the end of like maybe they will reconcile and maybe this will be mm-hmm. you know something that could be rekindled down the line because what do they have to lose by being in each other's lives at this point mm-hmm. but the, everything but going back to that uh going back to the the real story it that's a little 
less clear or at least at the time of writing it sounds like mm-hmm. that they were still very much the two women that they, these are based on these characters are based on were still very much on the outs which is like makes me sad it does seem like it, by the end it's like well what no do they it's have totally to fair lose? but it's yeah. totally fucking fair mm-hmm. she ratted mm-hmm. her out to the cops and she like pimp handed her mm-hmm. you don't get to come back from that you don't get to kiss and be like i'm sorry mm-hmm. those are those are deep transgressions that you don't heal from yeah <sighs> it's it's such a complicated like it's i don't know and it's like beautifully acted and written and shot and especially because they both have children you know what i mean it's just like mm-hmm. if it was just them and they were still single girls but no like when you when you establish that somebody that you once saw as safe is actually not safe like you, you hope that yeah. you hope the best for them, but and you are a mother, and you you cannot let that person in your life because you will lose your child, or you will have, or you you or yourself or that child, you will be in an exploitative situation. That risk, nope. So like, I completely understand. It's sad, but right. And yeah. that scene with uh, Ramona and Destiny as well, when when Ramona learns that Destiny has taken the plea deal and she's you know not aligning at any point at this point yeah. and Ramona is furious I mean it's like it's such a hard she scene, holds but her ultimately close. she knows why destiny made that decision even if it's the last worst possible thing for her I don't know that scene was just like mm-hmm. so good but like terrible yeah yeah good but terrible yeah and like this the, the scene that I think parallels that because that was like the breaking point for Ramona but the breaking point for destiny happened months before when Ramona like hit her basically tried to get the phone away from her and like for good cause like destiny was mm-hmm. about to fuck it up and like essentially did but um that was that was the pimp hand coming out and like once that comes out that girl's not your friend anymore mm-hmm. yeah the justification that destiny uses when she's like this is why I took the plea deal was mm-hmm. she's like quoting what Ramona had said earlier but she said you know, motherhood is a mental illness. I'm doing this for my daughter. I'm curious what everyone mm. thinks about that just kind of as a bit of a through line in the movie. And I don't know if I don't sometimes I forgot that <laughs> Destiny even had a daughter because she comes up so sparingly in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I would have I, I almost would have liked to see her relationship with her daughter a little more because when she says that i'm like oh right you have a daughter i do i do feel like yeah ramona's relationship i feel like they probably get about the same amount of screen time but it's just like telegraphed way clearer that ramona and her daughter are like very very close and like Mm -hmm. ramona says repeatedly like i would do anything for her like motherhood is a mental illness and the whole bit and we it's i mean i don't know i mean i i I guess that that didn't really stick out to me too It, it made sense to me story-wise that that was the decision that destiny made Mm -hmm. not just logistically but because of what we know about her Mm -hmm. and because of her personal history that's where it made the most sense to me where like she was struggling as a single mother and we know that throughout the story but we also know that she Mm -hmm. was struggling with how she was abandoned by her Mm -hmm. own mother and it sounds like she would do almost anything to prevent that. that from happening to her daughter, even if it screws someone else over. Right. Or that right. was how I was interpreting that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Let's take another quick break and then we will come right back. Mm-hmm. 
happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. I would love to talk a little bit more about um, police and how police are portrayed in this movie and like yeah. know, the, the interaction of um, the industry and the cops. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never really done sex work in New York, let alone danced um, there. So I'm not like as familiar with, with the nuances of that relationship between like strippers and cops and strip clubs and cops. As mm-hmm. we saw in the film, like we know that police frequent these places and like i think mm-hmm. one of the most like biting moments of the film is when uh the reporter i guess it's pov julia styles at this point is talking to the cops that like put together the investigation that eventually took these women down and like the mm-hmm. takeaway for them was like yeah it really spooked some of the guys we stopped going to the clubs altogether. <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's what he wanted her to know <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool, sir. That was on the record. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, um, but just in general, I think that it's important to, we hear Jennifer Lopez's character say like, well, what, what are these guys going to do? Are they going to call the cops and say, please officer, help me. I spent $5,000 at the strip club last night. Mm -hmm. The inverse of that though, is what are they going to do? They can't call the cops. Uh, oh, please help me, officer. Uh, this guy that we gave ketamine and MDMA to is now, you know, if he wasn't like, what if right. we know that ketamine and MDMA have different effects on different people, mm-hmm. you know, like the likelihood that a person could have gotten violent or had a weapon or sure. sexually assaulted one of those girls in one of those hotel rooms is just so high. And then what is the police recourse there right um is the question that we don't get into in this film because it is like even though it's 18 and up somebody says something about like that ends the the pg-13 component it it is a pg-13 stripper movie (laughs) like even though it's very like there's full nudity it's there's something even it doesn't like even their sentences right i don't know how true to to life these are 
But it was satisfying that at the end of this movie about the industry that usually ends with protagonists who work in this industry being uh, punished, like severely punished within the, the, the world of the film, either through death, mm-hmm. dismemberment or yeah. like lifelong stigma or heartbreak. Right. Um, is usually what we see. And, and these these women all were able to serve their time and move on. At least that's what the film that was wants us to believe. As, right. as far as I know, that was also true of of the real life story that the sentences that were like put on screen at mm-hmm. the end were reflective of what actually happened. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a uh, rare <laughs> in that, uh, you know, somebody can get out of a police encounter alive, especially if they're a woman of color mm-hmm. and a sex worker. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that those arrest sequences were handled really well by the filmmakers because in a time right now, like, I don't want to see Kiki Palmer near a cop. Right. And like that sequence was like just brief enough that like didn't, I don't know, perhaps it was traumatizing for a lot of viewers. Um, But they, it was very cinematic. It was very like the end of the heist with all the cops, like waiting at the line for, you know, like where Mm -hmm. I'm sure the reality was a lot uglier, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do appreciate that the movie doesn't dwell on those moments or like, you know, make too much of a meal on it because mm-hmm. we're not on even though these women are you know engaging in some very morally questionable behavior <laughs> we're still rooting for them like we're Absolutely. not rooting for the cops in this story so mm-hmm. so many movies ask you to do every exactly. single one i feel like i feel like i growing up is realizing that like every person you've like liked in a movie is actually a cop I this happens to me all the time like oh my gosh wow um silence of the lambs oh wait she's a cop yeah (laughs) yeah agent oh my god speed oh wait he's a cop (laughs) everybody's a fucking cop yeah um okay here really quick I have been trying to get this movement this going for like years and years nobody wants it nobody asked for it but I'm gonna I'm gonna so like go for it shoot your shot (laughs) I had the privilege of like getting a little taste of like the time's up moment i definitely got to spend like valentine's day 2017 or 18 with like reese witherspoon and laverne cox and like on the warner brothers lot like the the topple people started to get together and talk about 50 50 by 2020 and it was all like very exciting and yada yada and like you know it's some things have happened but we all know where we are um but (laughs) yeah what i would like to see for time's up to move forward like the next step in time's up is time's up cops Hollywood has to stop doing this. Hollywood has Mm. to stop glorifying police and the fucked up work that they do. Like, obviously, we have to stop seeing, I think it was really exemplified in uh, the Central Park Five uh, series on Netflix when we we Mm. saw that this, like, the way that prosecutors and police and investigators abuse children and Mm. you know other suspects that they have in custody and the way that that has been glorified through like 1990s drama and like svu and law and order and all of this glorification of literal police misconduct and violence and hollywood needs to be responsible for that and like put together a resolution to fucking stop it. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. stop it. We don't need to see any more stories about quote unquote good cops or bad cops who turn good or good cop or bad or just bad cops. We don't need any more stories about cops. <laughs> right. Mm-mm. Like except Wellington Paranormal and that's fine. Oh my God. Yes. I love that show. <laughs> but yeah, 
I'm fully on board with your movement. I, is, what can we do to help? <laughs> just hashtag times up cops. Like anytime you yeah. are, are having a moment where you're just like, oh my God, I thought that I could watch Twin Peaks, but actually it is just a story about an FBI agent. It's more copaganda. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's just copaganda. Fucking Paw Patrol. Like you're indoctrinated at such a young age. Oh my gosh. To <laughs> cop media. But it's like, it, it's the fact that Paw Patrol exists and is wildly popular is. And I, this maybe sounds over, but I, th- it's, I think that that's really disturbing that that yeah. is like something that exists. And I, I totally, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that there should be in the same way that the Time's Up movement, which it sounds like we all have some criticisms of, uh, <laughs> like, perhaps. Is uh, it? <laughs> but though, yeah, like, is it? <laughs> but the way that there was at least some push to be like, here is like a tangible, like, result that we want and not just like we don't like this and you should stop because i feel like that almost never yields something it's like Mm -mm. like this is exactly what we want we want to see cop media like decreased by like Seventy five percent by two thousand and twenty seven, and like have Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. like a tangible result because otherwise it feels like, I mean, this was so recently like propaganda was understandably so recently a huge discussion Mm -hmm. and in terms of the media discussion at least of how it appear how cops appear in media i feel like that discussion did not last for very long Mm -hmm. and didn't i mean definitely didn't really move the move the dial very much and i think it's Mm -hmm. a key part of how we move forward with uh imagining a world beyond police we have to first imagine it and make movies about it Mm -hmm. yeah that is key it's just it's not the only thing but it's something that we as content creators slash like media coal miners can do to just you know call it out call it out in your favorite movies i mean like if you're listening to this i'm sure you have a social media account like next time you get mad when you're watching svu and you're like you know what actually detective olivia benson you may be jane mansfield's daughter but like no right you can't you can't treat that suspect that way you have to actually let them see a lawyer yeah like Frances McDormand in Fargo. Done. Oh, She's God, I know. And it would be it, <sighs> it would be nice to see more popular actors like acknowledge and distance themselves from prominent cops that they've played. I have done it in porn. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, and also just like as actors, you know what I mean? But this is something yeah. I am constantly, you know, cognizant of as like a, mm-hmm. a a performer. If someone asks me to play a role like that, I try to avoid it or like switch you know and this is not always true outside of the adult entertainment industry it's like excuse me i have some feedback about my role it doesn't really fit with my (laughs) ethics it's not things that generally actors can do but in the adult industry we are blessed and bratty but blessed and bratty is a great way to be (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i didn't I don't want to say I didn't mind how cops were portrayed in this film, like in terms of just like how egregious it usually is within the Mm -hmm. context of this film. Like it was okay, like nobody was glorified, but the the tension and like the real sort of risk and stakes and like how rough it is between sex workers, sex workers of color specifically and police Mm -hmm. was, I think, absent, was markedly absent in this film. Yeah, that is something that I feel like there was room to explore in this movie, especially because several of the main characters are women of color. But yes, the way that cops have been historically represented 
in movies as heroes and amazing, like just the best people in the world and they're awesome and, they're, and they save the day all the time mm-hmm. versus how sex workers have historically been represented in film and me- media of any mm-hmm. kind, really, aside from like adult entertainment. Right. Just like think about how many movies you've seen that are usually directed by men where there's a scene that takes place in a strip club for absolutely no narrative reason, usually just as an excuse just to dressing. Yeah. have naked women be set dressing in the movie. We never learn anything about them. They're just objectified and dehumanized because of the way they are just bodies mm-hmm. that we don't know anything about versus this movie and a small handful of others and only in pretty recent years that take care to show the interior lives Mm -hmm. of women who do or people of any gender who do adult entertainment and we obviously learn tons of information about the interior lives of destiny and ramona we learn some details about more secondary characters like mercedes and annabelle and then we even get a peek into the lives of several tertiary characters For example, there's a scene pretty early on where they're going around like the dressing room Mm -hmm. and like Cardi B and Lizzo and a couple other women are like talking about their sex lives and their like romantic lives and personal lives. (laughs) I remember the first day I I walked, I walked into audition actually. This was not my first day. Um, I was, you know, seeing if I was allowed to dance naked and it was very dorky, but I remember seeing this girl in the dressing room, her name was Dolores Park, just screaming in these like eight inch heels, screaming on the phone to her boyfriend, just like I had never seen a woman just like let her boyfriend have it so hard before. And this was just like normal. But that first sequence, like it felt so very familiar of just like women, usually nude, just like with mm-hmm. their genitalia out being their full selves. We don't get to see that very often. And it's mm-hmm. that, that, strip club dressing room space sacred as fuck sacred as fuck yeah and it's like met with all support and like love and energy and those scenes are so so wonderful and i also wanted to shout out how cinematography is handled in this Mm. movie too where Mm -hmm. uh there is a a, uh there there's it's almost it's interesting because it's uh written and directed by lorraine scafaria it's edited by a female editor kayla emter Mm -hmm. there is a male cinematographer but i think that the way that cinematography is handled it's like so i mean whatever i mean it's all these scenes in strip clubs that are focusing on the strippers faces and a lot of a lot of scenes what Ramona is doing is controlling the camera entirely. Mm. And then as the power dynamic shifts, then it's destiny starts to take control of the camera at certain moments, but it's so it's still sexy when it needs to be sexy, but it's not, I don't know. I I didn't find the camera work to be creepy Mm -hmm. or leering Mm. or, I mean, because it was, you were usually seeing things through one of these women's eyes and if what they were seeing was sexy and they thought what they were seeing was sexy it was sexy but it wasn't like and then you also get kind of the reverse of this which I always enjoy seeing in a movie where it cuts over to like you know the the patrons like goofy faces while they're while they're like (laughs) looking at beautiful women dancing like I I just I I really thought that was like a cool element of this movie and it's something that is so often 
I don't know. I think we take it for granted when it's well Mm -hmm. done because when it's poorly done, it's so obvious. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, and we talk about women being objectified and being like the objects of the male gaze all the time in so many movies. And it's not as though we have a problem with women being sexy on screen (laughs) and being sexual on screen. Like that's not where we take issue. It's all about like, it has to be on her terms like how she is presented and and how she is framed by the camera and like again yeah whose point of view or if you're doing a like you seeing there have from? been leering shots in movies that you don't love that but it's like it just needs to make sense in the story because i feel like that's a huge michael bay thing when even mm. with and like of course that's like the most extreme example but like on the page <laughs> like on the page a lot of michael bay characters are not inherently sexual it's just the fact that the camera is just like for no narrative reason just like making a complete meal of them Mm -hmm. that they become so sexualized and it's like it's it's in no way motivated by the story it's just like well that's Mm -hmm. just what he wanted to do well teenage boys are the target audience for this for transformers (laughs) so uh we have to show megan fox's ass (laughs) i'll never forget um doing i do a lot of media advocacy and like um you know i'll talk to the press um because because i know how to Mm -hmm. do offensively but it was i think 2012 or 2013 when myredbook.com was taken down by the fbi which was like a um uh, advertising website that i actually used when i was a stripper working at the lusty lady because there was like an an exotic dance section there was a section where we could like exchange information about bad dates and things like that so i Mm -hmm. I talked to the news in my little like red blazer and pencil skirt my, my little advocacy outfit on and I ended up like meeting them in like a parking lot somewhere like Chevy's parking lot in Oakland or something and I gave the interview and I hit my talking points I talked all about you know like the the risks to the industry and blah 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 and when I saw the sequence that came out that evening on the evening news they literally started at my high heels and and spent and used a whole shot of just my feet Mm. on the news and then like panned up my entire body as I was like talking about the FBI taking down a resource that helps keep sex workers alive on the fucking news, like, so like it's not just Michael Bay, it's not ugh, just Michael Bay. It's like the it's the news, the fucking news. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous, and I think that when I'm looking back on the, the movie Hustlers and like thinking about like objectification or like the, you know these things that we often critique um, in films made for the male gaze slash by men something happens or at least happened to me when I started profiting off off the male gaze and like Mm -hmm. using my body as a tool to survive under capitalism by exploiting the male gaze Mm -hmm. and also being gay and wanting to attract women who are also doing this dance Mm -hmm. Uh, something happens to your aesthetic and like people can't see me right now but like I I am a cartoon character like through and through and I think that (laughs) There is just a piece of alchemy that happens when you are, because you're getting dressed at the strip club to make money that night, but you're also making sure that you like look good to your peers and coworkers and maybe that girl you're going to get a donut with after work, you know? And Mm -hmm. if if you've ever been in like femme lesbian circles or femme first femme spaces, 
the way that we dress to attract each other like goes it, it goes into drag right it goes beyond like the, <laughs> the the male gaze like the male gaze left long ago honey i'm so sorry that's not what these like glitter eyelashes are for they're not for the man in the room okay <laughs> like mm-hmm. and that's very much what this film felt like for me of just like yes we're all i'm here at the strip club and i'm gonna make money because this outfit is hot but i am looking at you Man. And I'm wondering what you're doing later. Is <laughs> what that film feels like cinematically, like cinematography wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is it's it it does feel it's pretty I'm like, I don't understand cinematography like technically at all, but I'm like, they fucking pulled it off. It 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It only makes you feel the story beats stronger. My partner is a cinematographer slash like director of photography and like loves like I mean you can see we've got like these weird little like colored lights all over. <laughs> so I st- I've started to understand it more. Not unlike the lighting in Hustlers, mm-hmm. exactly. So, <laughs> lots of like pinks and purples, which is very hot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to share another quote from Jacqueline Francis that's from the oral history of this movie, who it was talking about being in the strip club that they used as like the set of this movie. So being on set, mm. Jacqueline says, quote, it was like a utopian strip club from days mm. gone by. I felt so respected for my opinion and my expertise coming from my background where sex work is stigmatized and considered not real work and that we are disposable and that violence against us is acceptable. It's really important to have compassionate and authentic representation of sex workers in mainstream media. And the only way that's going to be achieved is by hiring sex workers to play the parts and to consult on these films. People are constantly shitting on me all the time about strippers being dumb bitches. It's so toxic and it's violent. It results in literal violence against sex workers, unquote. So that's just, I mean, one of many things I deeply appreciate about this movie, which is that strippers were consulted and paid paid, and just had voices in terms of how strippers were represented in the in the movie and because yeah like she said how (laughs) this is the thesis of our show how people are represented affects kind of public opinion and cultural perceptions Mm -hmm. of any particular group so so why on earth would strippers not have a say in how in in shaping (laughs) their own cultural persona like yeah right it's so silly yeah, Jacqueline Francis's quotes, like every single quote I came across that she'd ever said, I was like, she's a genius. She's so great. Like, yeah. she's so articulate. <laughs> like, just like the, I don't know. Anytime someone can like get a thought into two sentences, I'm like, how did you do that? It takes us two hours to do that. Uh, <laughs> well, she also does these cartoons. Have you seen her, her yeah. artwork? Like, that's that's the, when so you, you have the little like words and the, the, the truths, you know, paired with these like adorable little like cartoons, watercolors. It's remarkable. She is one of the greatest artists of our time. Mm. And I, I really liked how, and I'm, I'm curious what everyone thinks of how the um, journalist is used to challenge assumptions mm. made about strippers as well because I, I feel like using that device I mean not only is it reflective of the fact that 
it was, you know, a, a journalist from a somewhat privileged background who wrote this story for mm. New York Magazine originally. But even on top of that, I, I really liked that exchange between Destiny slash Dorothy and Elizabeth when Elizabeth is doing the journalism thing where she's like, well, what about mm. the crime? And that's, you know, clearly <laughs> what she has been sent to do. And we, I mean, you barely notice as an audience member because it's so awesome, but like you've been focused on the relationship and the and the mm -hmm. moment, the cultural moment for, for most of the movie. And she's like, okay, but what about crime? And mm -hmm. Destiny pushes back on this right away and is like, well, I mm -hmm. don't want to be some a part of some larger narrative that, for, like, I'm not quoting her exactly here, but I, I don't want to mm -hmm. be a part of some larger stigma enforcing narrative that frames strippers as criminals wholesale so mm -hmm. if that's what you're trying yeah. to do I want no part in this and even goes further to challenge Elizabeth on what her background is and like mm -hmm. can you really empathize with me with you know it's and and I think does something really really smart that I mean you know maybe a lesser journalist would have been scared and quit the story and she was just like you know, I'm I'm not going to be a part of a toxic narrative that, of course, she would be well aware of. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's almost that was almost like a, a clever writing way of talking to the audience, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought that that was like a, a really cool moment. Yeah. Part of that is also I don't know if it's that same scene or not, but she asks Elizabeth you know, like, yeah, did you grow up with money? And she's like, yeah, I'm, we were comfortable. My dad, like, Which is exactly what rich people say. When people say comfortable, I'm like, that shouldn't be allowed anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's your way of downplaying the fact that you grew up in an upper middle class or like upper class family. So yeah, cool. Like, but anyway, that, that's, that's, I actually just watched Crazy Rich Asians and that's the, the thing when, when the, um, oh, he when, says we're oh, comfortable. Right. She's like, that's exactly <laughs> wow, Constance Wu movies are full of this interaction. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. Wild. <laughs> um, but then she she chal Destiny challenges Elizabeth a little further and says, "Well, what would you do for a thousand dollars?" Because right. of course the answer is going to depend on what you already have and what you need. Because mm -hmm. up until this point, there's been this kind of like probably as objective as Elizabeth can like make herself seem, but she's still like passing some judgment in terms of like you were drugging these people and she's like why are you fixated on that yeah we were doing that but also these guys were mainlining coke every day on their way to work so mm -hmm. like the, but it just brings up this class conversation of a large part of destiny's motivation is that she wants to be completely independent she doesn't want to have to rely on anyone else financially she says this multiple times in the movie and for someone who grew up in what was clearly a pretty financially unstable situation. Her grandmother seems to be the sole provider for her. She was in debt. Her parents left her when she was young. You know, she, you know, she's coming from a low socioeconomic background and right. motivated by trying to get out of the cycle of poverty and wanting to be independent and, yeah, it goes back to that other quote from Jacqueline about surviving under capitalism and how, like, right. that's just kind of inherently problematic. And and it kind of, like, doubles as a commentary on how media is trained to 
view strippers and and sex workers as well because of how it's like I mean and and Elizabeth kind of tries to do this again where I don't know I mean this is this is just how I interpreted her behavior in this scene but later on like I keep wanting to just call her Julia Stiles but like Julia Stiles (laughs) like leans in to destiny and is like well you know I know I'm supposed to feel bad for the guys that this happened to but I really don't and I kind of viewed that from a journalistic perspective, I was like, oh, is she trying to kind of lead her to say something? Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm. I don't, I mean, I, I saw her apartment. I don't think she really felt that way. Whatever. <laughs> I, Canon, I don't know. But all that to say, then Destiny doesn't take the bait and is like, oh, that's interesting because there were times where I felt not good about this situation at all. And again, it's like, this supposedly objective source making an assumption about how the person they're interviewing would feel based on this preconceived notion they have. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, those scenes are wild. I really appreciated the including that that is a device just because I think it is a really important part of the coming of age sex worker story that we're sort of uh, approaching in this in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Yes, you will meet a, gr- a girl who will like consume you and possibly destroy you. She may exploit you. And if you turn her into the cops, you will never get her back. And be careful when you talk to the media, babes. They will make, you know, like they are not your friend. They are mm-hmm. not trying to help you in any way. They, they are part of that strip club. You know, are they doing the dance? Because they're definitely not throwing money. So mm-hmm. be mindful. Mm-hmm. Be mindful. Ugh. Hell yeah. I like that part. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the production? Ooh, yes. Yes. Uh, so we referenced this a little earlier, and I know, I mean, there's a, a million quotes from the oral history that support this as well. But I was, uh, I, I didn't know much about the production of this movie, even though I'd seen it a couple of times. And Lorraine Scafaria, prior to this movie, was she directed stuff, but she was, I think, better known as a writer. Mm-hmm. She had written this script, and then the, ugh, it's just it's so typical, but it's like three years ago, so it's double annoying. Mm. I was like, oh great, this was happening in <laughs> 2018, amazing. Post times the the time that it was up, uh, anyways. <laughs> So Lorraine Scafaria basically was like really lobbying, like I want to direct this movie. And I I believe like three or four big name male directors had to pass Mm. on making the movie before they would even consider her. And on top of that, this movie was originally with like the Annapurna production company, which they've made a bunch of famous movies. I can't think of any of them right now, but they're whatever (laughs) they exist. And Oh, this is a quote from Elaine Goldsmith Thomas, who's one of the producers. And but she says of Annapurna, who eventually pulled out from this movie, um, she says, quote, the male studio executives were a little uncomfortable. Everybody could see the commercial value of this movie, but they were like, can they just drug the bad guys? Can they just do that to people that deserve it? And <laughs> so it just at almost every that's why I'm like so happy that this movie does mm. exist and was directed not only by a woman, but by a a woman who wanted to consult strippers and consult people who could make the story authentic in the way that it needed 
to be because it sounds like the production originally had no intention of doing that they're like Mm -hmm. um we're just gonna let martin scorsese walk around and kind of just guess his way through this and it's like (laughs) thank god so glad no one had to see that movie he would have done what he did to margot robbie in wolf of wall street Mm -hmm. would have been quite the thing to behold (laughs) (laughs) the scorsese cut i have no desire to see ever not once no thanks but yeah jessica elbaum who is the founder of gloria sanchez productions who had originally bought the rights for like the article to make it into Mm. the film had been the one to like go out to martin scorsese and then adam mckay was another possible contender to be the director but then Lorraine Scarfaria was like, no, look, I can do this. I made this awesome sizzle reel. And they're like, oh, wow, this is a great reel. Okay, fine. You can direct the movie. Which which is like so, I would be less annoyed by that if she were like an inexperienced director. Like a sizzle reel makes more sense when you're not already a well-respected director. She shouldn't have had to do mm-hmm. that to like right. prove she could direct her own script. Oh, it stories like that make me so annoyed. Infuriating. Yeah. <sighs> Does anyone have anything else they want to discuss? Um, I wanted to note that I love, 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 cannot say how much I love that we don't know anything basically or care about any of the boyfriends in the story yes, at all. Yep. When you said his name was Johnny, I was like, was that his name? That I believe <laughs> was his name, but the fact that we barely know... <laughs> Is telling. Jo- is Johnny a name? Johnny's not a name. Johnny's just a like a young John. Right? There's Johns, there's Johnny's, and there's Jonathan's. That's the name of the guy from the room. Yes. Uh, oh God. You're just Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> exactly. It's not a name. It's not a name. It's a archetype. Johnny. Johnny is a good shorthand for like random young man. <laughs> Johnny here. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I, I I love that because I think so often when people talk about stories that like humanize sex workers, they're like, yeah, what's it like when she goes home to her boyfriend? Like, mm-hmm. Fucking cares. Mm-hmm. He's a douchebag, just like all the other men in her life. Like, sorry. No, my, my boyfriend for the record is fucking awesome. But I, I hate seeing that. It's just like such a boring like, oh, you the fact that Destiny has a child and like we see this moment that we just sort of like get sucked into like the 2008 crash happens destiny gets pregnant suddenly there's this dude next to her i was like oh god are we about to see this movie i don't want to see this movie but we weren't thank god we do not thank god i think Mm -hmm. the only boyfriend of any who who is like i mean i guess not extremely narratively relevant but that is one of Kiki Palmer's motivations is to get yes, her dragon. boyfriend who is in jail for, I don't know if they tell you what it's for, mm. but that that's the only boyfriend that I think comes up multiple times mm-hmm. is she's trying to get her boyfriend legal assistance. Right. right. And, and does end up, and she's successful. Right. But yeah, that's treated as more just like, that's her not thing. even a subplot. That's just like no. a few that's quick her scenes why. here and there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, you know, it's right. like, Kiki wants a brain. She wants a heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I like that everyone does, even though it's like, I mean, for, for Kiki Palmer's character and, oh my God, Lily Reinhardt's character. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely know who she is. Uh, <laughs> but they each have a scene that explains their why. And that's all, that's all comes mm-hmm. from the source material as well. Mm, really? That's good. So I liked that. Speaking of that 
Lily Reinhardt character. I um so from twenty I moved to LA in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. late twenty fifteen. I started taking prep around that time, which is pre exposure prophylaxis, mm-hmm. um, which is like a daily pill you take that prevents acquiring the HIV virus, like birth control for HIV. Um mm-hmm. it was really hard on my stomach. So for those like two years, like twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, not only did I like live in a tiny apartment with my cat, I was also the puking girl. Like that just con the the moment when they like pulled up next to the cop and it's like everybody play cool, everybody play cool, and then they finally pull away and she just barfs in front of like I've done that. Like that was puking so relatable. This like movie season was big for puking girls because it was like Lily Reinhardt in this movie. Anna de Armas and Knives Out. It was like yes. Puke Girl yeah. City that that Christmas mm. season. Representation matters. Girls yeah. with, who live alone with their cats and puke for no reason. We matter. <laughs> there was a small moment that I felt very seen by where Destiny is describing this recurring dream she's, mm. she has where she's in the backseat of a moving car. There's no one driving. She has to like scramble to get to the front seat to try to like gain control of the vehicle. She can never do it. Mm. I've had that dream probably 50 or more times oh, in my life. It is like fuck. one of my recurring really? stress nightmares. Yes. And I'm like, wow. to see that described and then like play out on screen, I was like, oh, I feel seen. <laughs> yes. That sequence was so good too. I, I love dream yeah. sequences that are successfully pulled off where you, it's ha- mm-hmm. the thing is happening and you don't know that it's a dream until like right before you, it's movie yep. so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry you have that dream though. That sounds so stressful. Oh, it's okay. I um, clearly need to work on managing my anxiety. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I had versions of that dream, but it was, I haven't had them since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Except our, mine was like, I was in a station wagon and it was rolling backwards. And I was like, I wonder when my grandma's going to pull the emergency brake. And I was like, oh no, no grandma. Oh, There's no. no grandma. Yeah. That might've been a princess diaries induced dream to be honest, because. Oh, for oh. sure. <laughs> okay. For sure. Yep. Um, I, can I ask some questions of you guys? Absolutely. I, I've talked like a fair amount about like my experience in strip club life, but I'm curious about how much time y'all spent in strip clubs, what that's been like, like what what your point of reference, because like I, it was very striking to me. I didn't spend, I was never in a 2007 strip club. So that like mm. big floor show, I've seen that when I was like on tour in like those big states that have like Walmart sized strip clubs. But like a city strip club that popping, I had never really quite seen before. And then the shot of the 2008 strip club, it like chilled my bones. I was like, oh, this is the strip club I know. <laughs> like it just like hurt inside. But I'm, I'm curious what, if anything, your frame of reference is for, for those spaces. I was in a, I think I went to my first ever strip club in 2009. Okay. So not long after, because I had moved to New York right around the time the economy tanked and was struggling to find a job. And when I did finally find one, it was at a literary management company where one of the managers was like kind of doing that part time. But her main job was that she was the general manager of, and I forget which club it was, but it was one of the more popular strip clubs in Manhattan. Oh, wow. And so she would let my colleague and I at this literary management company yes. come in for free. She would nice. buy us drinks. Aww. She would buy us lap dances. So yes. like, 
we would go and just like have a ball. Did, was it a place with food? Would you get to like get, get a meal or was it just drinks? I think it was just drinks. Ah, mm. um, so good. <laughs> and then I've been to a few other strip clubs in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Portland, Ooh. Oregon, Los Angeles. I was with you in Portland. Yeah, we we went to one in Portland together. A listener of the show invi- uh, worked yeah. at this club, invited us for to come in for breakfast. It was very oh. delightful. Wait, I'm about to go to Portland. Which strip club serves breakfast? I need to know. What was, oh, we'll get you the name of the club. Oh, uh, well, yeah, we'll have to please, look it up. Please, let me know. It was a couple of years ago. We'll, we'll let, let you know. know. But it was mm-hmm. fabulous. It was incredible. Strip clubs are special. Yes. Um, yeah, I have, I've not spent a ton of time in strip clubs, but I, I think I go like once every two years. My first time was when in Massachusetts, it's, it's, like or I don't know how state to state this is, but I'm from Massachusetts and went to college there. And I was so excited to move to Boston because I I wanted to go to a strip club so badly. And I <laughs> just like I was especially as a teenager, I was so like fixated on stripper personas. And like I read a ton of blogs, and I was just like I was so excited to go and then I got to Boston I was 18 and they didn't let anyone in under 21 yeah so mm-hmm. I ended up going to I ended up getting my dad to drive me to an 18 plus night and I went to a strip club with my dad and oh my <laughs> god bless your goddamn heart <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was, wow. and we had amazing food and a great time but it was my dad was way more uncomfortable than I was I was like this is this is incredible this is the best and Everyone, every, I mean, everyone who worked there was so nice. And then once they figured out what Aww. our dynamic was, they were like, um, okay. And like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, I, that's my most memorable strip club experience. But. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, beautiful. I, love that. I, I, I ask because, um, A, I always say that I think it's really important. Like people, when people ask like, what can we, what can we do for a sex worker rights movement and make the world a less violent, despicable place uh, for people who do this type of work? I always try to encourage people to come out about their consumption, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's um, a great Portland strip club experience with breakfast or like a weird night out with, you know, your relatives <laughs> uh, and compatriots <laughs> um, or, you know, like, hey, I, I subscribe to peghim.com or like, you know, whatever. I, I admire this porn star. I follow her on Twitter. Just like, take us out of the shadows when when it's safe for you to do so because it's generally safer for you than it is for us to talk about like the, this world society does not punish the consumer in the same way that they punish the practitioner right um, in this instance so i love that you guys have had positive experiences oh, yeah. i fucking love a strip club i um in 2018 um i went on tour with stormy daniels when she was uh doing her strip club tour after like her book I was about to come out, I think, but I was registering voters in the clubs. And so I saw strip clubs all over this world. (laughs) And and just the, the, um, some things like some things shift, of course, like region to region, like some places you have to wear a gown if you're on the floor, some places you have to have like a tea strap thong or pasties or Mm -hmm. nude cover, like all of these weird rules, which is why Stormy um, was arrested in um oh this is one thing i wanted to say about the movie 
I think in that first sequence where we see Jennifer Lopez dancing, she motorboats somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. or, or some variety. She like rubs her, her boobs in somebody's faces. That is the move that got Stormy Daniels arrested in Columbus. Oh. She was set up on a sting. Jesus. These white women came in as undercover cops were hitting me up. They're like, oh, I love Stormy. They were undercovers and they initiated that move. And because like the laws vary state to state, mm. they, arrested her and a bunch of other girls, including girls I had registered to vote that night who were like terrified, like, please, okay, I'm going to give you my legal name to register to vote. Like, that's a scary thing to do in a strip club when Mm -hmm. you're trying to keep your legal name private. And I was like, I swear to you, only me and the registrar of voters are going to know who Mm -hmm. you are, Mm -hmm. except then the cops came and arrested them and their names were in the paper the next day. And that girl doesn't get to be a nurse anymore. That's fucking awful. So, (laughs) sorry to be a downer on mm. we were having a very nice conversation <laughs> no, but no. it's these these issues are important i think that like when folks watch um and consume entertainment about this industry it's important to know the re- the realities that face even like the most privileged among us i mean stormy daniels is like the the whitest blondest tallest slept with the presidentist uh mm. you know sex worker of our our generation and still like a cop with an agenda can take her out if mm-hmm. he wants mm-hmm. so <sighs> great movie though great <laughs> great, great, great fucking hustlers movie hustlers rules <laughs> hustlers rules yes i'm i'm i like this movie i will watch it again like i said i i think it's a dance movie and dance yeah. movies are like my number one <laughs> so this goes in the book. Like, I will put this on before center stage and, uh, you know. <laughs> Make a night of it. Does drumline count? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Awesome. Any other thoughts, questions? Uh, I have I've one more question for you, Susie, on behalf of us, but also yeah. our, our listeners. Is there, I, I guess, for our listeners who are just starting to learn more, what can they do to be supportive? What can they do? Like, yeah, that for for kind of yeah. the the lay listener, the lay listener. Where would you suggest? Well, if you want to stay in touch with me, I can, I encourage you to do so. I am always harassing people who follow me about getting out the vote. Um, calling your elected representatives about, you know, there's always legislation in the works. There's always a politician with an agenda who wants to use our communities as scapegoat. So there's always work to be done. So if you want to keep in touch, shoot me a text at 415-548-9185. And I'll send that to you guys so you can put in the show notes. It is my personal direct line, but it's also a way for you to access my email list. So, um, Email is terrible. I never check it, and I don't think you should either. But I do check my text <laughs> messages because I'm an elder millennial. Um, so that's a great way to stay connected. But also uh, check out passcertified.org, P-A-S-S, certified.org. That is the health and safety organization um, that focuses on health and safety in the adult industry and provides like regulatory recommendations around like what STIs we test for when we have a production hold due to COVID or somebody test positive for HIV, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And find the adult performer that you support and pay them, whether it's Cash App, Venmo, the Afternoon Strip Club, Brunch Buffet, whatever you can do to support individual sex workers directly. Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing that you can do because every one of us is struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, even folks who are who seem to be living that life 
on on Instagram is one second away from losing that Instagram and that way of making money. So Mm -hmm. find ways to support your local sex worker directly and do so. And if you would like to do that to me, (laughs) you can. You can follow my mostly safer work pursuits at theforecast.com. That's my Patreon page. Um, Ill Repute Pod is the Twitter for my podcast. Ill Repute Podcast. I am my my friend Sovereign Sire, um, who Mm -hmm. is also a a porn star. Yeah, she used to perform at the comedy venue that I ran um, at for a while nerd no yeah she would oh, come shit, for different yes. like storytelling shows and other just like <sighs> comedic the best. storytelling performances yeah so we um take different uh people and figures throughout history of ill repute uh, initially it was sex workers but now it's just like people with reputations that are you know history didn't get right and so mm-hmm. we nerd out and uh this last week where we covered gidget <laughs> which is one of my favorite films Definitely doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Um, <laughs> not at all. And, but um, so, yeah, that's that's mostly where you can find me. The daddyissue.com and your American babe.com is where you can find my spicy things. Cool. Very good. But yeah. Yay. Thank you for sharing all that. Speaking of the Bechtel test. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Already? No, I'm not ready. I didn't study. Drum roll, please. Does this movie pass the Bechtel test? Uh, Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah, it does a lot. <laughs> what I always like to find out, like, at what point, like, are we five minutes in? Are we 10 minutes in? I didn't look, but I feel like it's pretty it's early. It's almost like, immediately. We, we get a yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for there are plenty of interactions in this movie where men are the subtext of a conversation but mm-hmm. there's also i mean i guess whatever i i didn't uh, i didn't do a math problem about it but i would guess that more almost more often than not conversations between women are not about men they're about money they're about mm-hmm. business they're about daughters they're about mothers they're about friendship mm-hmm. they're about fur coats journalistic ethics <laughs> they're like <laughs> Totally. Yeah. And when they are talking about men, um, they're often saying things like they're awful and degrading and possessive and violent and they never get into any trouble because they think they're above the law because they're so rich and all these guys (laughs) tanked the economy and it's their fault. They lied and they cheated and they stole. Yeah. None of them went to jail. These assholes. Blah blah blah. Shakespearean monologues. Like yeah, that's what we hear about some that. some of Ramona's monologues are literally like Shakespeare. You're like, oh yeah. my god, <laughs> um, who wouldn't be taken in? <laughs> there is not a high opinion of a certain kind of man uh, in right. this movie, which is how they justify their illegal actions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I will say that. The the um oh who Doug is the guy that we feel sorry for yeah. that like but even before Doug the first guy that she calls that's like the last on the list of regulars before she goes back to the strip club Stephen Stephen mm-hmm. I would say that both of those guys uh, were humanized in a way that we don't get, typically get to see mm-hmm. um, consumers of sex work humanized and I think that that's really important too because the first step when people say like yes yeah, sex worker rights okay great we'll just criminalize the consumer right and that's what really is getting pushed in in a lot of places these days the Nordic model or um. Oregon, some places are calling it the liberty or the justice, the equality model or garbage double speak, Mm -hmm. garbage double speak. But um, yeah, it's nice to see that like, yeah, okay, not every one of these guys was a piece of shit. Like people consume 
things that you are selling and right right. yeah you can't you you can't decriminalize and destigmatize sex work without also having empathy for the people who want to engage with it and consume it so exactly or just like wholesale demonizing yeah i thought that this movie like towed the the ethics line and the consumer line pretty smart because it's also like Mm -hmm. very location specific of like totally these are wall street bankers and and it's and this this happens in the it's referenced constantly in the article as well where you know the the parts of this that are criminal are as we've been talking about like it's a survival based thing that is being done and I, I kind of appreciated that the movie doesn't mire you down with like, well, what are the ethics of this? It's like, that's separate. Like you can have that yeah. discussion on the ride home. That's not what the movie is about. But then on the other side, yeah, you do see the empathetic, like genuinely caring people who were, were at this club and actually making like friendships and like actually talking mm-hmm. to the dancers and getting to know them and, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was like, well done how you do see the flip side of like, it's not like this didn't do harm. And that also seems to be something that Destiny was really bothered by by the end, which I mean, it's it's so easy to see Destiny and Ramona's perspective in that moment. And it, yeah. it was cool to see kind of that split and that like dilemma represented without the movie telling you how to feel about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. One piece that about like class that was in there that I think is is um, maybe wouldn't stick out to someone outside the industry, but the piece about like the the, the folks with the most money are the ones who are going to push your boundaries. And I remember when I started doing in person work outside of the club, you know, like two thousand ten, two thousand eleven ish. You know, rates varied between like a couple hundred on up to like closer to you know four figures and I remember a friend of mine being like yeah I don't want to see guys that will pay x amount of money I I like my clients who pay a little bit less it's just safer that way and 100% that's been my experience that like the more money someone is willing to part with the more they expect to be able to do whatever they want and get away with it Mm -hmm. Um, and we see that specter a little tiny bit but that specter is much larger in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that like this is a, like a little bit of a, a parable about the, the hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like the thrill of and the temptation of these like massive amounts of money is there as soon as you enter the sex industry. But like the more money you get into, the higher the risk goes up. And like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is why I think it's so important that um, we approach discussions about sex work with our feet firmly planted in like labor activism praxis of just like we are workers fundamentally. And like, yes, there is the jackpot, but we are we have to fight for, you know, like safety nets for all of us. You know what I mean? There mm-hmm. has to be like a baseline of, of mm-hmm. safety. And like if you get lost in the sauce, you'll get got. And that's so much what this movie shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's way easier to get lost in the sauce when the pressures of capitalism are like literally breathing down your neck. Right. right. And it's like, yeah. I mean, Ramona is like using Wall Street tactics to mm-hmm. Robin Hood from Wall Street <laughs> guy. Like it, I don't know. There's, I could yeah. talk about this movie for 500 years. <laughs> Forever. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's rate the movie on our nipple scale. Zero to five nipples based on how it fares looking at it from an intersectional feminist lens. I really can't think of a reason why not to give this movie five nipples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I mean, there are five nipples in this film. There are at least five. There are at least five <laughs> nipples that we see. So like that. And and a full frontal <laughs> penis. A D. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. True. In a non-erotic capacity, which I always right. like. I mean, you can't really mm-hmm. show, but it's like a... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely um, a horror moment. Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm going to give this five nipples. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that this is a movie about female friendship and that friendship is it's complicated it's nuanced it feels very authentic and and real and compelling I'm like very much rooting for them to like get back together by the end of the story (laughs) totally gotta get the band back together (laughs) (laughs) even though the reconciliation like you know it would be a lot for Ramona to forgive destiny for they need a med- bring a mediator get a mediator in the mix for this <laughs> i know it's some pro bono therapy i love that that friendship is at the core of this film i appreciate the class commentary i appreciate you learning about the interior lives of sex workers we learn so much about not only the the two main characters but several of the other women at the club i love that you get to see women defying the expectation to be quote-unquote well-behaved because there's such a high standard in society and this extends to movie characters where like women just have to be perfect and they're not allowed to do anything bad. And if they are, they get punished for it. And mm-hmm. uh, usually by like being fridged in the story and in this movie, it is all about them engaging in like morally <laughs> questionable and corrupt behavior. Right. Like how many movies like not like this plot point for plot point but how many movies are about just a group of men doing extremely illegal things not even for a reason (laughs) not for a reason and 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 like they're not punished for it at all and it's like woohoo yeah go and murder everyone who comes and across your path like yeah so i i appreciate that this you know subverts that expectation for for women to just always be on their best behavior and always be adhering to what society expects of women and um i appreciate that it's a diverse cast and mm-hmm. not just a bunch of white waspy women yeah yeah so i'm gonna give this five nipples and yeah. i gotta give one to lizzo mm-hmm. and good cameo good cameo the flute and everything oh yeah <laughs> the flute titty fucking that the, oh, i think so that was good. on jacqueline, jacqueline. <laughs> not, oh yeah not only did j-lo grab jacqueline francis's titties lizzo fucked her titties with her feet. yes like yes, how yes, is yes. she even living her life <laughs> full ascension right there uh i'll give one to jacqueline i'll give mm-hmm. one to writer director lorraine scarfaria i will give one to the montage where Britney Spears' Gimme More is oh, playing God, yes. over it. Oof. I'll give one to Constance Wu. And I don't know how many nipples that is, but 
It's ten thousand. Sounds like enough. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go five nipples as well. This is like, this movie delivers on so many levels. I feel like we could talk about it for another two hours if we wanted to. Yeah. Like I, I just, I mean, on on top of what I'm really glad to hear from you, Susie, seems to be like a an authentic representation of strippers that strippers are actively consulted, compensated, and intimately involved in the production. That is incredible. The fact that we are we have these really complicated stories about women disagreeing and misbehaving and having different standards of ethics and ideas, but mm. but having it all come into this like really strong relationship that you totally understand, but you're also like, oh my god! Like yeah. even when you understand and see how things fall apart between. Ramona and Destiny and even if you don't you know agree with everything they do it's like you're rooting for them to be together and in each other's lives still Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's such incredible writing I liked that there was care taken that even the characters that aren't the main characters we understand what their motivations are they have distinct personalities they have friendships they have opinions they have disagreements and it all just fits so seamlessly into a movie with perfect dance scenes and perfect soundtrack and really good cinematography (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i just loved it so uh, i i will i will give a nipple to jacqueline as well i'll give a nipple to cardi b i'll give a nipple to lorraine scafaria I'll give a nipple to the editor of this movie whose work we didn't shout out, but was really good, Kayla Emfter. Mm. And I'll give a nipple to Kiki Palmer, nice. living legend. Yeah. Oh, I love your rating system. So good. <laughs> care, care to rate? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously five nipples for sure. Um, I have to give one to, I, I, I should pull up this quote, but I just remember shortly before or after this movie dropped, I remember Cardi got some like flack for coming out and being like, yeah, Robin men. Mm-hmm. We love to see it. I don't remember what she said, but she was like, yes, sometimes you have to rob a trick, right? <laughs> no. Okay. I didn't. I thought I just made, have you seen the movie? <laughs> um, I don't remember, but that controversy just makes me love her so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. I really love her. Um, I don't endorse uh, committing crimes, of course, um, for legal reasons. Right. <laughs> um, but definitely worthy of a nipple. Um, and I would love to know if Diamond was uh, Cardi's name when she was dancing. Mm. I'm sure that's easy to find somewhere uh, if it's true but uh yeah five nipples hands down uh a a nipple to whoever hired and got Jacqueline paid I'm sure that Jacqueline had a lot to do with actually making that happen but whoever was the uh the gatekeeper that opened the gate to actually make that real because I can't tell you how many times all of us have been in a situation where somebody wants to pick your brain for a movie or mm-hmm. ask you a couple things and like the, the likelihood of you getting credit paid, paid let alone yeah. screen mm-hmm. time is just so small so like major props to the folks that that got that happening mm-hmm. um i don't know who the rest of my nipples go to but like everybody kiki palmer for sure redistribute the nipples redistribute the nipple absolutely take that wall street all those wall street nipples and redistribute it back to the people absolutely occupy the nipple (laughs) Uh, 
But yeah, I will watch this movie again and again. I will swap this movie out for a center stage or a dirty dancing when I like need to feel that feeling. Um, a nipple for the training montage, a, a really crucial Ooh. component of any like sports or dance movie yeah. is the training montage, which th- this really delivered on. You know, it's it's a very magical, magical film. And I have to I feel like I have to give a nipple to like the collective problematic toxic femme that has been in my life in different iterations throughout my time as a sex worker and will continue I'm sure until I'm dead mm-hmm. and is personified in the archetypes portrayed in this film a nipple for each of those girls mm-hmm. that I have loved and no longer see. beautiful so. to a, a nipple to all the girls I loved before uh, <laughs> shout out to another great movie exactly, oh, exactly. Well, well Susie thank you so much for joining us and yes. having this wonderful discussion my pleasure come back anytime please yes oh my gosh, come do a, another dance movie I would love to I've, yes. uh, I I warn you like I have despicable taste in film and I am <laughs> completely proud of it like perfect I am a John Waters child and Ooh. I am here to play we still haven't done John Waters movies I know. oh please anytime Anytime you want to talk John Waters, my dad's from Baltimore. I okay. It's a little bit of a religion in my life. <laughs> Here for it. <laughs> uh, remind us where people can support you and, and follow you on social media and stuff. Yeah. Yes. com, YourAmericanBabe.com. TheDaddyIssue.com. And you can find me on Instagram at YourAmericanSweetheart. Yay. Amazing. Yay. <laughs> You can find us on not all of the socials, the socials that we use, which are Twitter and Instagram at Bechtel Cast. You can support our Patreon, aka Matreon, at patreon.com slash Bechtel Cast. For $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes oh, wow. every single month. What a treat. Incredible. And we also have merch. We do have merch. It's at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel Cast. All of it was designed by Jamie, by the way. I don't think we shout that out enough, but it's true. That's very cool. So all the more reason to grab some merch. And otherwise, thanks for tuning in. And um, hey, let's all go to a strip club. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, quick quick public service announcement. When you go to a strip club, always tip even if you're not getting a dance like you know i mean like most people know that i think but Mm -hmm. in case for the lay listener if you're gonna go especially if you are like a femme presenting person because let me tell you when you are on that stage and you look out and you see a bunch of girls and you think that they're like saying mean things about you it ruins your entire night so Mm -hmm. if you are a femme presenting person you go to the strip club go to the front tip the girl make sure she knows you're not a girl it'll help make the night better awesome thank (laughs) you for that yeah thank you Bye-bye. Love y'all. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.